0: not the only reason, but one of the reasons why God guards marriage so carefully and has such a high view of it is that it has the potential to reflect to this world all around us the beauty of the bridegroom's love for an unworthy bride, okay? And so no marriage will perfectly reflect Christ in the church. It's two sinners trying to live together, okay? But... That said, each marriage has the potential to be a great reflection of Christ and the church, and Christ will never leave His church. By the way, let me just say to you, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've repented from your sin and turned to the Lord and cried out for mercy and found Him to be your Savior, He says point blank, I will never leave you or forsake you.
1: Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 19 titled, A Picture of Christ and His Church. And we invite you to follow along with us now as we get started.
0: The scripture teaches that each marriage has the potential to be a picture of Christ and His church. And when I say church, I'm not talking about a building with a steeple. I'm talking about people who have found Jesus Christ as Savior. We are called His bride. And... The scripture teaches he's coming back, the bridegroom is coming back for his bride. And I want to just start by underlining that because one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why God guards marriage so carefully and has such a high view of it is that it has the potential to reflect to this world all around us the beauty of the bridegroom's love for an unworthy bride, Okay. And so, no marriage will perfectly reflect Christ in the church. It's two sinners uh, trying to live together, okay? But that said, each marriage has the potential to be a great reflection of Christ in the church. And Christ will never leave his church. By the way, let me just say to you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've repented from your sin and turned to the Lord and cried out for mercy and found Him to be your Savior, He says point blank, I will never leave you or forsake you. And uh, that is a great foundational truth of the Christian life that has been an anchor for my soul because if it depended on me and my track record, I'd be in trouble. But I praise God. Christ knew what he was getting, and when he died for me, he died for all my sins, all of them. And He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, having said that, let's listen to his answer. He says, first of all, have you not read Scripture, not logic, is to be our guide in this matter of marriage? Scripture, not romance. Scripture, not sentimentality scripture jesus was regularly saying wasn't he haven't you read jesus never pit his own teaching against the bible in fact he always cited the scripture and pulls us back to the scripture so today we want to ask what does the scripture say he says haven't you read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female jesus goes right back to the beginning And he says on the first page of the Bible, he created us male and female in his image. And I can't help but say that uh, as Bible believers, and if you're not a Bible believer, I I want to re-welcome you. I've already said that, I think, but I want to say it again because this is a place to explore and find Christ, the Christ of the Bible. But I will tell us that the Bible clearly teaches from the day one that we were created male and female, and that's part of the image of God. In fact, we are created in his image, male and female, he created us. He's quoting Genesis 1, 27, when he goes right back to the beginning. And uh, we need to really let the Scripture govern our thinking, and we need to let the male and female nature of our creation in a world that's increasingly rebelling against this and saying you're a little bit of both. If you want to be, you can be whatever you want to be, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Scripture says he created us male and female in his image. And then he goes on, verse 5, and quotes from chapter 2 of Genesis. So he goes back to chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis, and he says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis 2.24, and uh, God established marriage and gave this truth about marriage before sin ever entered the picture. He said, for this cause, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and the two become one. And God performed the first marriage, you could say, when he gave Eve to Adam and the race began. Um, Four times in the New Testament that verse is quoted. Uh, It is the most quoted text on marriage. I think it's the central text on marriage, really, in the Bible. And it speaks of marriage as this mysterious leaving and cleaving notice the two become one it's what all of family is based on it's what all of society is based on uh this one flesh principle that supersedes even the parent-child relationship when i marry young couples i look them in the eye before the ceremony but uh but I look him in the eye at the ceremony too, and I remind everyone there that's witnessing the event that marriage supersedes even the blood relationship of parent-child. You leave your parents and cleave to this one that you make a covenant with, okay? So the marital relationship, among human relationships, is the highest. The two become one. Adam said, this is now. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In a very real sense, the marriage covenant is the closest relationship possible for humans, other than your relationship with your Savior. In a very real sense, the marriage bond, the marital relationship is the closest relationship on earth. And boy, we need to understand this and proclaim it. And teach it and practice it and model it. it really, the church can't be healthy if, uh, if our marriages aren't reflecting this commitment that Jesus is teaching here. And uh, you'll hear and see many people uh, not understanding what we're talking about when our own marriages are in disarray and we're not loving our wives as Christ loved the church men. And I say, men, commit yourself to uh, your wife cling to her cleave to her stick to her it has the idea it's kind of the glue a man shall leave his father and mother and cling cleave to his wife Uh, prioritize your wife men if you're married don't prioritize your career prioritize your wife don't prioritize even your kids you prioritize their mother your wife. Now I'm not saying neglect your kids, I'm not saying neglect your career, or your work, not at all but I'm saying prioritize the wife of your youth. That's what Malachi uh, the prophet that the end of the Old Testament called uh, and he called Israel to account because they were saying, why is God being so hard on us? We haven't done anything and he said the Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth as a strong statement Matthew or Malachi 2 verse 14 So he says from the beginning God created us male and female and that's chapter 1 chapter 2 of Genesis for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh verse 6 consequently they are no more two but one flesh Christ's high view of marriage here, two becoming one. It's a one-flesh bond that is not to be broken. In fact, he goes right on to say, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So you have here jesus teaching on marriage in response to their question he says god created it in the beginning male and female he brought together and he said leave your parents and cleave.' and it's a two becoming one it's a one flesh situation and i might add as i have that the new testament unfolds that it's to be a picture of christ and the church, and it's something we can't fully comprehend, but the two become one, and it's to be indivisible, indivisible. And he said, regarding divorce, don't. That's what he has to say, don't. And I read verse 6, B, you know, A, B, the second part. I read that line or quote it every wedding I perform. What God has joined together, let no man Separate. Turn over to Ephesians 5 for just a second. Ephesians 5. God is involved in every marriage in a way that uh, we don't fully comprehend. But when He gives instruction to Christians, He says, verse 28, "'Husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies.'" He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So he brings Christ and the church in right in the midst of this, and he says, we can't fully grasp this. This is a revelation from God we'd never know on our own. We are one now, and I'm really speaking, he says, about Christ and the church. Nevertheless, look at the last verse. Let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. So you have um, Jesus' teaching when, he, when they bring it to him. And then remember, they brought it as a test question. Well, turn back to Matthew now, and uh, they press him. After he gives his teaching, they said to him, verse 7, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate and divorce her? They bring up a passage in Deuteronomy. And they referred to Genesis through Deuteronomy as Moses. And, and they said, why did, why did Moses command to give her a certificate and divorce her? And they're thinking that, uh, they're a little bit shocked that Jesus hasn't sided with Hillel or Shammai. And they're, they're a little bit blown away. So they say, well, what about Deuteronomy 24? And they want to get him, uh, to respond to their interpretation of that because Moses wasn't legislating regarding divorce. Uh, The Old Testament tone and the New Testament tone, by the way, is that God in a fallen world acknowledges that it happens, okay? And Moses' tone was not to encourage it or legislate it or certainly not command it. But they say, why did Moses command to give her a certificate and divorce her? Moses put up with divorce, if you will. The Old Testament's tone, just like the New Testament. So Jesus said, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. You could say, he's saying, Moses put up with it. He permitted it, but it wasn't what God wanted. And it was because of your notorious hardness of heart. It's because of the sinful condition of man that uh, God mentioned it. But notice he says for the second time, look at verse 8. But from the beginning, he said that back in chapter 4, or verse 4. Let's go back to the beginning. What was God's intent for marriage? And he said it was the two becoming one. And now here he says in verse 8, but from the beginning it has not been this way. And now the king tells what it should be in his kingdom. Verse 9 I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another commits adultery. I say to you, he says, notice. And it's reminiscent, isn't it, of what he's been doing all the way through Matthew, but particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, He'd already touched on this subject in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when he'd say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Well, here he says, I say to you. And I really believe verse 9 is an amplification and a quoting, a teaching of back on the Sermon on the Mount. Turn back there to chapter 5 when Jesus was confronting different issues and taking their twisting of the scripture or misunderstanding of the scripture and correcting it. So it's a restatement of what he had already stated. In chapter 5, verse 32, he said, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, remember, he was doing this repeatedly all through chapter 5. He'd say, you hear it said, but I say to you, and he'd raise the standard And regarding this matter of marriage and adultery and sin, regarding sexual sin, he raised the standard. Remember, look at verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you. And we've looked at that a couple of times through Matthew as he said that And then he said, and it said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of dismissal. They were using it kind of like, well, if you're going to divorce, make sure you get the paperwork done right, basically, is what they were saying. And he said, but I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. There's two ways to be guilty in this matter of marriage that the legalism of the day was missing completely. The first one, he talks about the heart, the lust issue. And the second one, he talks about this matter of kind of a modern, you might say, view of marriage, of divorce, like we have in our culture where people feel free to abandon the wife of their youth or the husband of their youth. Now, verse 32 basically says to divorce one's wife is tantamount to adultery. It makes her commit adultery. He speaks of the cultural situation that just about inevitably they would be forced into adultery. And he says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife makes her commit adultery. To divorce one's wife is tantamount to adultery. To divorce one's wife for immorality is not tantamount to adultery. To marry a divorced woman, he says, the third thing, is to commit adultery and Jesus basically reiterates that in nineteen nine. now I believe that the exception clause that he gives except for pornea which he doesn't use the word adultery he uses the word that's usually translated fornication uh, would make me think that he's not speaking of unfaithfulness within the marriage But either way, as you read verse 9, it's written to speak of the divorce, not the remarriage. And so Jesus said, basically, this is a lifelong commitment. He reiterates what he just said. Consequently, what God has joined together, don't separate. Well, the disciples, verse 10, said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry they caught what he was saying they were blown away they were shocked by what he was saying he wasn't just taking sides with the rabbinic teaching he was stating what god's purpose from the beginning was and they said better not to get married and listen to jesus verse 11. he said to them he didn't say oh no no you misunderstood me don't take me so literally he didn't say that he said not all men can accept this statement but only those to whom it's been given.'" For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. What he said here is that if you find yourself caught in the tragedy of divorce, you ought to remain celibate. And they said, oh, if that's the case, uh, we, we, we might as well not get married. And he said, you know not everybody's going to listen to what I'm saying. What he said all the way through, there's a lot of people that have ears but don't hear. But he said, not all men can accept the statement, but only those to whom it's been given. I'll tell you, if you have ears to hear, you can hear this. And in fact, you can accept it and live by it. And so we all know people who have put Christ as the highest priority of their life and lived celibate lives in a lifelong commitment to their marriage that has tragically come to an end. Now, I want to just give three closing thoughts, and I'm looking at the time and thinking I barely can, but whenever I speak on this and whenever I teach what Jesus taught, I want to say that the Christian life, above all else, is to glorify God. It isn't designed ultimately to make me happy. It's designed to help me glorify the Lord in obeying Him. And uh, He's calling us to a higher standard, whether it's in forgiveness, whether it's in marriage. He calls us to a supernatural standard. And uh, to teach what Jesus taught, to hold to His standards should not be viewed as harsh or legal, but rather as true and good and right and an opportunity to honor God. Secondly, the great message of the Christian gospel. Is forgiveness? Which one of us in this room? And I, I don't, want to see, I don't want to see any hands. You know, which one of us is is blameless in this in this matter? Well, you say, well, I've, I'm married to the wife of my youth. I didn't ask you that. I ask you, which one of us is blameless? When I read Jesus' words about lusting and about the whole issue of getting to the heart, and we of all people should show compassion and mercy and forgiveness to those around us as the lord will i believe we need to tell the truth about marriage like jesus did we should guard and protect marriage as an institution and our own marriages those who've been through the you know and maybe you're in in a marriage where you would say it's it's been in my past i've i've remarried i've done what jesus said not to do repent of your sin confess your sin and move forward with him at this point walking with him and this is the message of the scripture, and all these kinds of cultural—I mean, I shouldn't say cultural thing; these standards that our culture has broken. We're coming from chaos and wreckage and sin, but when we come to Christ, we can be forgiven, and we can move from this day forward in obedience to Him. So, I would just say, uh, I'll close with this thought: Whatever status you're in right now, obey Christ. Okay. And seek to prioritize your marriage, even if your marriage was maybe entered into wrongly. Seek to prioritize glorifying God through your marriage and realize that every marriage has the potential, always in kind of a broken way, but has the potential to reflect Christ and the church to a watching world. And we, of all people, need to be reflecting the gospel in our marriages.
1: You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, A Picture of Christ and His Church, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Abide in the Word only remains on the air through the generous contributions of listeners like you. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us on a regular basis to help us meet our daily expenses. To make a contribution, just go online to abideintheword.us or mail us at Abide in the Word, P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. You can't
0: come to God as kind of a secondary attachment to your life. You can't come to Christ and say, I'd like to add you to my lifestyle, but don't mess me up at all. Just kind of be there. Save me from... No, you come to Him. He's God. You you call Him good. There's only one who's good. You come to Him. He's not saying that you have to sell all your possessions to be saved. He's saying... When you come to God, you come to him as your one Lord and God. And if something that you cling to keeps you from him, and this man, when he heard, I got to get rid of my stuff, oh, he was grieved, but he walked away. And there are many, many people in Portland who have failed to really come to Christ because they're in love with their stuff or their money, or their, you name it. It's not just money and materialism. Anything that comes before God is, in effect, an idol.
1: Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, Come, Follow Me. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.